You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Hello and welcome to the DTB podcast for April 2009. My name's Ike Hyanacha and I'm editor of DTB. And I'm going to be talking to Dr. Pavan Randev, who's a GP in Leicestershire and also a council lead in a London PCT. Pavan, I know you've been concerned for some time about the gaps that can occur in GP prescribing system in relation to some of the drugs used in secondary care. Perhaps you could explain what your concerns are. Certainly. Um, I first came across this issue when I was working as a GP and I was sitting just going through the post which is one of the mundane tasks that all practitioners have to do. I came across a letter which told me that my patient was about to start Roaccutane for acne. As you're aware, Roaccutane is a medication which can only be initiated and continue to be prescribed by secondary care. I looked at the letter and then looked on this patient's prescribing screen. As I looked, I realised that my personal habit had been not to record that information on the prescribing screen. I realised that by pursuing that route, that what was happening was that I was not allowing my colleagues and myself to be aware that my patient was taking this tablet. Within the practice, the letter would have been scanned, in other words, photographed and put onto the system, so the letter would have been available. Within a 10-minute consultation, it's quite rarely that you have time to go back and look through all the previous letters. I then put Roaccutane into my patient's record and realised that actually it was a very straightforward thing to do. Afterwards, I talked about it with my colleagues in the practice and all of them told me that they would have done as I did. I then became curious and asked my friends and colleagues in other practices and none of them were aware that this may be an issue. I then looked at it further and started to look at other medication that was prescribed in secondary care that also we weren't putting into our systems. And as I looked further at this issue, I realised that, in fact, the default position seemed to be that medication prescribed outside the practice was seen by GPs as the responsibility of the prescribing doctor. So that there were a whole group of drugs information about which was not being entered in the prescribing system and therefore not available at the time of initiating a new prescription. Absolutely right. Those drugs fell into three distinct groups. One was the skin-based drugs, so the um, Roaccutanes. The other was the rheumatology-based drugs, so for example the newer monoclonal-type treatments, the infliximabs and so on. The third significant group was around cancer medication. And I realised that if a patient were to start on a new medication such as Herceptin in hospital, which would entail many months of therapy, unless I put Herceptin into my prescribing screen, I would then see the screen and be unaware that my patient was also having this medication. I mean, Pavan, this this is a, a crazy situation. Are you saying that up and down the country there are thousands, tens of thousands of patients who are on drugs which were started by the hospital consultant who, at the, who when the GP is thinking about prescribing a new 
treatment, that information doesn't flag up and, and present itself to the GP. Is that really what you're saying? Yes, it is. And for GPs that are listening to this, the simple thing that they can do is ask themselves, how many patients do I have who are taking Roaccutane? How would I find out? And if they're not able to do a drug search within their system to tell them that means essentially that the drug hasn't been entered onto the prescribing screen and therefore the screen that will alert you to potential interactions or problems with the medication. And you have reason to believe that it's not just you and your colleagues in your own practice but a, but a much wider problem. I became concerned and performed a small audit looking at the training practices around the Oxford region and I found that the majority of of training practices, in other words, practices that were structured perhaps more diligently than normal practices, were not doing this. I then fa worked at a practice where I discovered that the default position was that warfarin was initiated and prescribed by secondary care. The warfarin INR monitoring clinics were also performed by secondary care. Within this practice, warfarin was not on the prescribing system. I mean, that's interesting because warfarin is one of those drugs, of course, which um, has multiple potential interactions with other drugs. And so you would imagine that in a practice like that, with, as you say, 12,000 patients, perhaps 100 people on warfarin, there must be potential for huge harm to come from people not being aware that the patient is on warfarin at the time of initiating a new prescription. I believe so. And that's what um, has really con concerned me enough to continue to try to highlight this issue. The issue is there. The issue is significant. The issue doesn't have hard metrics behind it at the moment. However, it is an issue that concerns a system, and it concerns a system that could be altered very easily within primary care. Um, Paman, one of the other things I know you're concerned about is um, where patients are in clinical trials. That's right. Um, and, and this issue shows itself again in, in, in that area. Perhaps you could say a bit more about that. I was doing one of the mundane tasks in practice, which was looking through the letters that come from the hospital, and I noticed that one of my patients had been placed in a trial. Having looked through the trial, I saw that it was a placebo control, and that the drug that that patient was taking was one that I was completely unfamiliar with. I then looked at the date on the, um, on the letter and saw that this was in fact an update and my patient had been taking it for three years. And this was so you never got an initial notification to say your patient was in the trial? There was initial notification, but when I looked back, that medication had never been entered into the prescribing screen. Right. What drug was it? It was a drug called Toramiphene. Right. And the trial was as a prevention of breast cancer. Okay, so what did that make you do? It made me scratch my head. And then the next thing was that I put Toramiphene into the patient record, into the prescribing screen, and then scrolled back and looked in the BNF to see what the potential interactions were. My conclusion, looking back over the three years, was that the particular patient that I had was probably taking placebo because there were five medications 
that interacted with teremiphine, some with potentially significant results. I suppose one of the questions is how common, first of all, is it for patients like yours to be in trials? Uh, and then secondarily, how common is it for those patients to be on medications which are changed without you knowing about it? When I last asked the NLH, they estimated that there were 300,000 patients in the UK taking part in clinical trials. A proportion of those will be in placebo-controlled trials. And one of the challenges is that the trials can be of pre-existing medication or of completely novel medication. Now, I can give another example of a patient of mine who had a neuromuscular wasting disease. An international trial that he was involved in resulted in him taking methotrexate. We were unaware because we hadn't entered it onto the prescribing screen that this was what he was taking. You are unaware because, hold on a minute, you are unaware because you weren't told or you are unaware because it hadn't been entered? Because we hadn't been entered. We'd had a letter from the um, researchers telling us that our patient was taking methotrexate. However, the default position in general practice is not to enter that into the record. And our patient could have been taking methotrexate or placebo. Our response should have been to assume that the patient was taking methotrexate, enter it into the prescribing record for the duration of the trial, make it clear that this was part of his trial medication, and then put ourselves in a position where, had we needed to prescribe any other medication, we would do it in full knowledge of everything that that patient was taking. Is the situation, in, t in your view, in terms of the 300,000 people in trials, is it worse than the situation that applies to normal specialist care? I think it's very difficult to answer that question. All I can say is that I would be extremely surprised if GPs were entering trial medication into their records. In terms of the consequences of that, I, I do not have data because no one has actually systematically entered that information into patient records. Okay. I mean, one of the things you said earlier was that you're confident from your informal research that this is a widespread issue. It's not just you, for example, or your practice. There's some evidence that it's wider than that. If that's the case, why is it that we don't see um, the, it presenting as a, an acute problem with lots of interactions, lots of um, unheralded, unwanted effects? You would think that if it were happening to thousands, tens of thousands of patients, there would be a, a clinical burden which would present itself. I believe it's not recognised. I believe that it's dealt with in ways that just reflect the situation at the time that the doctor is interacting with the patient. There's no systematic recording of such a thing because why would one systematically record something when one isn't aware that this falls into this category of issue? I mean, one of the, I suppose, really scary things from, from a patient point of view is that they must assume, or a lot of them must assume, that records of treatments that they're on are complete and universal and universally shared between primary care and, and secondary care. What you're suggesting is that, you know, they would be misguided to believe that. If you think back 10 years, let's say, when perhaps only 30% of general practices were computerised, and at that time you would rely upon patients' memory or upon perhaps an incomplete record or a record where it was difficult to access drug information. At that time, if a patient had 
a symptom or a set of symptoms. You only had incomplete information to tell you what the cause of those symptoms was. In these current times, if a patient presents with a symptom that could be due to medication that you don't have on your system, then it will not flag up in your mind as being a potential interaction. It will not necessarily flag up in the patient's mind to mention that they have been prescribed medication elsewhere. From their point of view, you as a doctor have a computer, you have a screen which lists their medicines. Have you encountered resistance from colleagues when you've raised this as a particular issue? Have they just said, oh, you know, you're making a mountain out of a molehill, this isn't really a problem? Every colleague that I've approached with this issue, once they understand what the issue is and what the nature is, has become concerned about their own practice. And change their practice, as far as you're aware? Absolutely. Because once you realise that you're doing something that exposes you, exposes your patient to risk, exposes you as a prescribing practitioner to risk, then you have the, the need to do something about it. Have you raised this issue with um, governing bodies, people in authority? It strikes me that if, if people in authority were similarly to have lights go on, that practice would change in a much more global and systematic way. My experiences have been really quite um, uninspiring, I would say. What do I, you mean? I have brought this issue up with the appropriate um, bodies and I have contacted people in appropriately elevated positions. Can you say who they are? I prefer not to. But the relevant organisation really has not acted with the speed and with the action that I would have expected. I think we can all guess who that organisation is. Why should that be? Um, I, I can only guess. And I can only guess that they have had a degree of... Um, Inertia, certainly in this case, and I suspect that it's an organisation that has many urgent demands placed upon it, and that perhaps the urgent demands have required more attention than this, what appears to be a simpler topic. With a very diplomatic answer. Finally, what would you say then to your colleagues who perhaps are listening to this who think, oh, well, it's, it doesn't sound to me like a big issue. What, what, are you, what, what would your hope be for, for change and improvement in the current situation? I would hope that general practitioners that are listening to this broadcast reflect on their own systems within their practice. If a letter comes to them where a patient has been initiated on Roaccutane, ask themselves, how would my colleague in three months' time, know that this patient was taking Roaccutane? How would a locum who was covering for me know this patient was on Roaccutane? What would stop my colleague from potentially prescribing medication that could result in a significant problem for my patient? And your solution, as you've already suggested? My solution is that practices reflect on how they use the information that's sent to them and reflect on placing the medication that's been prescribed elsewhere into the prescribing screen. When they put it into the prescribing screen, in most of the GP systems, you're given the option of free text where you can place free text stating that it's to be issued in secondary care only. When it comes to numbers of drugs to be administered, place one and then in the repeat prescribing screen, 
put it under R for repeat prescribing, and then it will stay within the record. And that's something that can be applied to, as far as you're aware, all the prescribing systems used by GPs. I've worked with Emis, Vision and Torix, and you can do this on all three of them. Pardon? Thank you very much. Thank you. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.